So just on this podcast, I cracked open my beer because now that Petrangelo is signed, I feel I can relax a little bit. And I've got some scotch here too for after the beer. So I would suggest to anybody who's listening, stay to the late ends of this podcast because it could get better. Here's a buckled Elliot Friedman trying to stammer out a few words. <laughs> Elliot, there's a lot of layers to this Alex Petrangelo situation, and that's why the podcast is out late when you consider we wanted to do this once all the big stories were put to bed. Here we are on Monday night, 946 Eastern, and uh, the Alex Petrangelo situation is put to bed, which bleeds into the Nate Schmidt situation, which bleeds into the Vancouver Canucks situation, which goes back into the Vegas Golden Knights situation. And let's begin there. Alex Petrangelo, the deal is seven years. It's uh, $8.8 million on the AAV and a full no-move clause. Before we talk about the team, let's talk about the player. What just happened with Alex Petrangelo? Go brick by brick. So I think that Alex Petrangelo and St. Louis chatted several times in the last week. But from what I've heard, although there was plenty of talk and plenty of negotiation, I don't know that anyone ever believed it was going to get done. I just think the sides were too far apart philosophically and it had been left too long. I think by that time, you know, Petrangelo was frustrated. He was upset. I think there was a lot of emotion involved. I just don't think they ever got close enough where anyone was confident that they were going to get a deal. So free agency started at noon Eastern on Friday I had heard Friday afternoon that he was going to go to Vegas on Saturday. Couldn't get it confirmed. And then, of course, somebody who worked at that airport was gracious enough to tweet out a picture. I heard the deal in Vegas was going to be seven times 8.5. It came out, obviously, at seven times 8.8, as you said. It's got the no-move protection. As we tape this, I haven't seen the structure yet, but I've been told it has the protection that Petrangelo wanted the buyout protection later in the deal. It's there in the form of signing bonus. I heard it was a grind. I think everyone is curious to see if St. Louis is going to file a tampering charge here. It's been rumored that they were going to do it and we're going to see if they actually do. I know that when Toronto signed John Tavares, the Islanders filed a tampering charge against the Maple Leafs. And I don't think that went very far. Uh, I think the lease were clear. They did an investigation or whatever, but the lease were cleared. And I don't know if anyone ever thought that the lease were going to be in trouble. I mean, it remains to be seen what happens here. I do think there were some other teams that wanted to get in on Petrangelo, but I just don't think Vegas was going to let that happen. No matter how grindy the negotiations got, he was their target. He was the guy they wanted. I think Vegas was always Petrangelo's first choice. Hmm. That if he got to free agency, they were his first choice. I had heard he told people that, that they were his first choice. And I don't think that anybody is surprised that we're here. You know, the one team I wonder about, and this is purely my own speculation, 
is Columbus. There's people in the Columbus organization who know Petrangelo. Kekalainen obviously does. Columbus is not far from St. Louis. Columbus cleared cap room. And there was a time that, you know, they traded Ryan Murray. They moved Nudavara. There was a time they looked like they were going to trade David Savard. And then I heard that David Savard was taken off the trade block, that he wasn't going anywhere. So I admit this is purely me speculating, but I wonder if Columbus wanted to make a big offer for him. Well, Columbus, we're going to bounce around a lot on this pod. Columbus was rumored to be interested in Taylor Hall. Last year, we all knew about the dance they did with uh, with the Mitch Marner camp and the will-they-won't-they they offer sheet. So this isn't new Columbus trying to be aggressive here. And when they started to clear the decks, I think we all looked at it and said a couple of different things. One, they want protection in case Pierre-Luc Dubois gets offer sheeted. Two, they want to have the room to re-sign Pierre-Luc Dubois. And three, they want to take some runs at guys here. Like they feel that they've built something and they want to take it to the next level. I definitely think that. I think one of the biggest questions that Vegas is going to have is going to be internal. I've heard there are some really upset players there. Okay, let's get to that because that is a big piece of all of this. Okay. Um, and I do want to get there. Let me ask you one more follow-up on on Alex Petrangelo, and this is about St. Louis. Mm-hmm. When you look at Doug Armstrong, and we heard quotes talking about you know the reluctance of giving out no-move contracts, and the quote is something akin to, and I'm capturing the spirit here, Reg, uh, not the actual quote, you give out a no-move clause and the player has more power than the owner. And we've talked on this podcast and elsewhere, Elliot, about a hesitation in bonus-laden contracts. That's just not something that Doug Armstrong does. So when you marry those two facts together and you look at it, it seemed, and again, hindsight 2020, impossible for Alex Petrangelo to go back. True or false? I never like to say it's impossible, but I think it was unlikely. Like I said, they took a real run at it in the last week before free agency. And I never heard it was close. Gotcha. Okay. To the team itself and to help clear the financial deck here, uh, Nate Schmidt goes to the Vancouver Canucks who are a huge beneficiary, uh, get an outstanding defenseman and the media gets a great interview in exchange for a third round pick. So that goes the other way. And we've heard like, Cheese for each. I remember I was with you on draft night and we were talking about Vegas being in the middle of everything and wild names, you know, like everybody's on watch. And when it became obvious over the weekend that Alex Petrangelo was going to Vegas, all I could think about was all these guys they've seen Stastny leave. Uh, there's a rumors about Marc-Andre Fleury and Max Patcher, right? Like all I'm thinking about is all these guys are saying to themselves, I might be gone. Like I may have skated my last shift in Vegas in this uniform. And I just signed here recently. This is a new team. You know, the, uh, the paint isn't dry yet on this expansion squad. None of the concrete is hardened and already I'm out the door. Has there been too much turnover already in Vegas? Well, this is what I would say about that. The Golden Knights want to win. And, you know, one of the things that Kelly McCrimmon said in his conference call is that we had what we believed was an incredibly rare opportunity to add a defenseman, an elite player uh, like Alex to our team and uh, in uh, different positions. But for us, we really viewed it as a very similar situation to the opportunity where we acquired 
uh, Mark Stone. Uh, generally, these are players uh, that don't hit the market, and uh, we um, were fortunate to be able to make a trade for Mark Stone and then sign <clears throat> to a contract extension. And in the case of, uh, of Alex, he did get to market uh, as a free agent. It's when a player like that becomes available, you have to go for it. And I know he's not the only GM who believes that way. They just say, look, like when this these kinds of players don't become available too often. One of the conversations I remember having about it was early in Mark Bergevin's time in Montreal. You know, he talked about when Chicago could have traded for Chris Pronger when Anaheim got him from Edmonton. And he just said that we weren't ready for that trade. It would have cost us a first rounder that Chicago was not ready to give up because we weren't ready to win yet. It was too soon for us. And he says, when you're building, you hit singles and you hit singles and you hit singles. And then when you think you really have a chance to win, that's when you swing for the fences and you go, you do your Chris Prongers. Like he said, Anaheim made the right call to go for Chris Pronger then because they were ready to win. Chicago wasn't. Mm -hmm. And Chicago stayed with what they did. And they won three cups. And a couple of years into his tenure, I remember talking about a conversa- that conversation. And he said, my feelings on that have changed. That now when you have top players, you have to go get them because they don't come available too often. And that's what Kelly McCrimmon said on his conference call tonight. He said that we saw this player. This kind of player does not become available often we decided we were going to target this player. And I don't think he's alone in that. Hmm. What I can tell you, however, is that there are some players on the Vegas team who were bent out of shape over this. And some of their agents were, and some of the players were. Like, we already know that Flurry's upset about his situation. Alex Martinez just got traded there, and his name was out there in rumors. Uh, Schmidt, who did get traded, was in year two of a long extension, and he did get traded. And Stasny got traded, and there were rumors about Pacioretty, who's got three years left in the extension. He signed there. And Marcheseau, who has four years left in his extension. I also heard some teams that Vegas talked to to create cap space, they asked for Tuck who just signed six-year extension. I don't believe Riley Smith was someone they wanted to move. I heard a couple teams asked about Smith, and they were told, no, we're not moving him. But I think some of those players kind of look at it as the whole identity of the Golden Knights was we were a lot of guys who were brought here who had a chip on our shoulder, and we committed here. And not all those guys did. Stasny came later. Martinez came later. But, you know, now you're moving us out and, or we just signed here and now guys are getting traded or there's rumors about us. And also don't forget, like this is a team they fired Gerard Gallant when he had verbally agreed to a contract extension. So the organization, you have to be ruthless. Sometimes there's no question Mm -hmm. when you want to win, you got to make difficult decisions, but there's no question. This organization is getting a reputation from that of that even internally. You mentioned the agents. How are they feeling about this? And how do they advise clients when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights now? Is it beware or is it 
listen, this is a uh, tight salary cap universe right now. Uh, don't worry about getting your uh, your feelings hurt. If you can get a chair, grab it. It's like you know your enemy, right? Or you know the person you're dealing with. And I think you know, like Stone got a no-move clause. Now Petrangelo, I guess, got one or definitely did get one. I mean, you just have to know if you go there, this is the organization. They churn. They churn players. And if you go there, you know it's possible. Like I know some of the players were upset. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be news to the Golden Knights. I'm sure they know that the players are upset. You know, how do you handle it? That's the one thing you got to do. Like you can simply say, look, guys, this is business and you have to show up and do your jobs and that's the way it is. Or maybe they'll talk it over with the players. I don't know. But there's definitely a feeling from these guys that they know that the organization isn't wedded to them. That sort of winks at the point that you made earlier, which is, you know, this was a group of guys not wanted on the voyage. Like, that's it. The cast off. This is Gilligan's Island. You know, getting getting rid of these guys off these different organizations from around the NHL. They come together and bam, the chip on the shoulder and they go to the Stanley Cup final. And now it does seem more like, okay, now you are there to do a job, be a professional. And you're going to see that with the goaltending situation where Kelly McCrimmon on Monday night at the conference call said that Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard are our tandem. Those are going to be our goaltenders. Well, one of the reasons they did is because Leonard needs shoulder surgery. Yep. And there were rumors in the last couple of days that it was going to be a long surgery. Now, Kelly McCrimmon said on the conference call tonight, it was a cleanup and they hope he'll be back for the beginning of camp. They expect him back for the beginning of camp. And I mean, we'll see when camp even is like, that's another one of the issues here, but we'll see. But the fact is they say they're keeping flurry now. The other thing here that's really interesting is that I think Vegas was one of the finalists for Taylor Hall. Really? Yes. I think they wanted to do it. Long-term deal or short-term deal? Short-term deal. It was one year. Now, it was probably, I would guess they were offering them around five, but they wanted them. Mm -hmm. And that would have meant they would have had to move more. And I'll tell you the other thing too, is that there's a whole situation in Tampa over Steven Stamkos. And I believe Tampa has gone to Stamkos and asked him if he would waive. And I think Vegas at least had a conversation about it. I think Vegas at the end decided not to do it because, you know, Stamkos' health, like basically if you're doing that, you probably have to get rid of Pacioretty, right? Yes. And Pacioretty has less term and he's healthier. And I think that's kind of where it was. That was one of the names that was out there last week, right around draft day, Yeah, was Stamkos and Watch Vegas. And Vegas being one of the only teams that we could see Steven Stamkos waving his no move for, because, and we've talked about this with Nashville and, and no move clauses before, uh, if you're going to give a team a discount uh, because of a tax-friendly situation that you find yourself in, you better be sure you have protection because if you don't, you could go to a very non-friendly tax situation, but Vegas would be one. So that would make some sense financially for Stamkos to look at the marketplace and say, okay, 
I'm keeping the same amount of money in my jeans if I go to Vegas. I'll wave to go there. Would that be the only way you could see Stamkos waving the no move? You know, he just had surgery, so you know he's probably just recuperating at this point in time. But if I was guessing, I would guess that would be one of the considerations. And I don't know what the post-tax breakdown is, but in terms of pure salary, he left around two and a half million on the table, right? Mm-hmm. So I would think that protecting his net income is a big part of this. Do we expect anything else from Vegas? Oh, they, they have to do something else to be cap compliant. And Kelly McCrimmon said on opening night, we'll be cap compliant. But are we looking at something yeah. significant here or just nibbling around the edges? I look up and down their roster. Look at the guys who potentially were available. I think Pacioretty was available. I think Marcia so was available. Martinez was available. You know, they're saying Flurry's not going anywhere. I got to think you've got to consider the possibility that, you know, more could be coming. Like they have to get cap compliant. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So you'll see more value contracts like Peyton Krebs and Cody Glass in the lineup next season. Yeah, you, you got to think so. Although those guys could have bonuses. True. All right. Uh, we have a lot to get to on the podcast today. And also Zach Bogosian uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs is going to be aboard. This was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed this interview with Zach. Some great stories uh, and some interesting insight as well uh, from his past. A lot of talk about um, what he went through with the Buffalo Sabres, how close he was originally to signing uh, with the Maple Leafs. Um, he talks about playing, you know, with uh, with Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough and Mikhail Sergachev and the Tampa Bay Lightning and winning the Stanley Cup. So that interview is coming up a little bit later on. But I'm going to preface this entire podcast by saying it's going to sound like the last few days uh, that we've seen in free agency as you refresh your Twitter. It's going to be all over the place. It's going to be scatterbrained. Uh, apologies if you're looking for something with structure or something with order or something with any linear progression. This is going to be like, it's going to sound like the last few days of free agency. Uh, as we like to call it around here, welcome to the Cats and Laser Pointers edition of 31 Thoughts, the podcast. begin with breaking sports news tonight. He's the league MVP and a number one draft pick, but as of tonight, Taylor Hall is a Buffalo Saber. He has been one of the most highly sought free agents. The forward has agreed to a one-year $8 million contract. Sabres GM Kevin Adams said he expects big things, especially when you consider the combination with center Jack Eichel. You know, we want players that want to be here. We want players that are humble and hungry and want to win and want to be part of something special. And if that didn't um, fit, then we wouldn't keep going down the the road and have conversations. But it, it became very clear quickly that there was interest in Taylor had an interest in being here and being part of something special. And there's where we got to. So it's exciting. Okay, so here we go. Welcome once again to 31 Thoughts, the podcast. We'll get right into it and we'll bounce all over the NHL, starting with the eyebrow raiser. Taylor Hall, Buffalo Sabres, one-year deal, $8 million. 
dollars. There's a lot of reasons I think we can point to as we've had a few, well, a couple of days here now to try to figure out what the motivation would have been, uh, whether it's setting up for next season, whether it's a chance to bump numbers with uh, with Jack Eichel, whether it's an adoration for playing for Ralph Kruger. Why did Taylor Hall sign Elliott with the Buffalo Sabres? So here's my understanding of the timeline. So Taylor Hall goes to market and he gets a lot of teams that call him, like probably around 25. And I don't think anybody would be really surprised by that. Now, one thing that happened here is that we all knew Petrangelo was going to get paid. And we suspected that Krug was going to get paid. And he did. And I thought the goalies were going to go fast because there were so many of them. And then I think what kind of happened was the forward market cratered. A lot of teams needed goalies and there were a lot of goalies. So everybody wanted their date, right? Nobody wanted to be the last dance at the prom and not have anyone to dance with. And the two big D went, or at least everybody thought Petrangelo was going to Vegas and Krug went first day. Mm -hmm. And I heard the forwards just got stuck. Like, look, as we tape this, Granlin still hasn't signed. Hoffman still hasn't signed. And I just think they got caught in the crunch. And I heard that there were a number of teams that said to Hall, if you want to do short term, we'll do it. But then I don't think they could offer a ton of money. Like I said, Vegas, I think Vegas was like $5 million. I don't know if Colorado even got to money, mm-hmm. but I think if they did, like they traded for Sod, it's $5 million for them because Chicago kept a million dollars. So I bet you they would have offered Hall $5 million if they would have gotten there. Boston, I think they were willing to go higher, I think, I think, but they had to clear out room first. And I think that's, so we start getting into Saturday and we start getting into Sunday and Hall's hearing, yeah, we can do this, but we got to clear up room first. And I think he, he was just like, you know, I want to know where I'm going. So I do think Boston was willing to, I don't know if it was the exact same offer, but I think they were willing to consider a bigger one-year offer, but they had to make moves and he got to a point where he didn't want to wait. Mm-hmm. No, the one team here I think that was really willing to go term was Columbus, but I'm not sure that Hall liked the term number. Like he really felt it wasn't a big term number from what I understand. And so here comes Buffalo, and he knows the coach. Eichel will be the best center he's ever played with. And I think he just said, you know what? I'm sitting here. I know what this offer is. I don't want to wait any longer. I'm just taking this. And next year, these players, as it stands right now, are playing for 72% of their gross salary. Let's just say he went to Colorado for five. Let's just say it. I don't know if it even could have happened, but let's just say it could have happened. You know, 72% of five and 72% of eight, you know, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. But I just think at the end of the day, Buffalo was the offer he knew. He didn't want to wait for Vegas anymore. He didn't want to wait for Boston anymore. And I just think the long-term deal that was on there from, or longer-term deal that was on there for Columbus I think he thought it was low, and I think he just said, 
I'm taking this. That's what I think happened. This one to me makes some sense. Like initially you think, whoa, hang on a second ago, two seconds ago, Taylor Hall, you know, at the close of the season for the Coyotes is talking about, you know, winning is most important to me. And the next thing you know, he's signing with the Buffalo Sabres on on a one-year deal. And it doesn't make sense at first glance, but then when you sort of pull back and try to take as, as much of a bird's eye view of all of this and have a look at the marketplace, not just this year, Elliot, but next year as well. You know, you look at the list of UFAs for next season and Taylor Hall's, you know, getting $8 million or however much a percentage of $8 million he's going to get. And you look at the UFAs next season and Alex Ovechkin's top of the class, but Washington is, they're going to get something done there. And then you go to Ryan Getzlaff and David Krejci and Derek Stepan and Stastny and Saad and Hopkins, uh, Landeskog, although I can see Colorado doing something there, Zajac, uh, Jaden Schwartz. If you're Taylor Hall, do you not look at this and say, you know what, I can really juice up some numbers here playing with Jack Eichel. Maybe I get moved to the midseason trade deadline. I'm playing with Ralph, Ralph Kruger. I'm going into another series of being an unrestricted free agent. And again, I'm top of the class. So it's $8 million this year. Maybe I wait one more year where I can be the top dog in free agency and ring the bell when I have some big Eichel juiced numbers beside me. I think that's all a good plan. I think it makes a lot of sense. The only question, Jeff, is, is the cap going to be any bigger next year? I doubt it, but he'll still be the big dog. And big dogs are the ones that always we've always seen. Like, the big guys always get paid. Yeah. And if you look at that class, like, that's still a lot of older guys. Like, Getzlaff and Krejci and Stepan and Stas. Like, these are older dudes. Like, he's going to walk. I mean, Dougie Hamilton, if he gets some market next year as an unrestricted free agency, that'll be a, a certainly a big contract. But when you look at that, do you not say, yeah, you know what? Taylor Hall's kind of a pup there. You would think so. Again, if he has a big year, you're you're totally right. But I just think the the issue is, you know, again, what's it going to be like next year? Mm-hmm. Like you look next year, who are the big free agents? Ovi? Yeah, those guys. I figure that one gets solved. Taylor Hall. Ryan Getzlaff. But Getzlaff, I don't think he's going to be 36, right? Yeah, he's part of the uh, 203 draft. The biggie. Yeah. Like all those guys that I laid down, like Stastny, Saad, Stepan, Nugent Hopkins, Jaden Schwartz, Travis, Travis Zajac, like all those guys, like he's still- I don't think Gabriel Landeskog gets there. I think he gets an extension. Yeah. Okay, bouncing around the NHL, uh, Jacob Markstrom lands with the Calgary Flames. Six years, $6 million is the AAV. First of all, where did it break down with Vancouver. You know, I haven't spoken to Jim Benning. He was ducking all my texts about confirming the Nate Schmidt deal on Sunday night or Monday night. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Monday (laughs) night. So I think what happened was they got to a fifth year on Markstrom on Friday morning and they were simply told it was too late. It's too late. Like I think Markstrom wanted to be in Vancouver and I think the Canucks tried to use that. And... They got to a fifth year on Friday morning and they were told it was too late. And Calgary had the six times six and Edmonton had the seven times five. I think Edmonton thought they were getting him. I think Edmonton really thought they were getting him. My impression is that the Oilers thought they were getting him. And then in that morning or that day, they didn't get him. 
And I think there was another team, Carolina, that made a stealth run at him. And so Vancouver was out and Edmonton was out. And there were all these reports that Calgary was getting him. And I think at the end, Carolina made some kind of stealth run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how close it got or if he was even going there, but I think the Hurricanes tried. And um, he ended up in Calgary in the six times six. And then I think Calgary was talking to Brody and the Leafs were talking to Brody. And I think there was another team in on Brody, though I'm not 100% sure who it is. And the Leafs got him. And Calgary's offer to Brody was four times 4.5. And I think they turned around. They gave it right to Tanev. They said, okay, Brody's not taking this. It's coming to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that Vancouver moved off two years for Tanev, but too late. And I don't think Toronto offered Tanev term at all. I think they might have only offered him a one-year deal. I think it's possible. And, you know, obviously he wasn't taking that. So that's kind of where we were, and, and Tanev ended up there. You know, Vancouver tried to get Barry, and they asked Stetcher to hang on, and he walked away for two times 1.7, and then Toffoli took the four at four-ish in Montreal, and Vancouver was about to get burned down on Monday before they made the Schmidt deal. Now, here's the way I look at it. So everyone's looking at Vancouver, and they're saying, well, wait a second. We could assign Stetcher for two times 1.7. We could assign Toffoli for four times four plus. Why, why couldn't we do that? And I'll tell you, because it's happened in my own life with negotiations, Jeff. And I know it happens with players. And it hap- I'm, I'm sure everybody out there listening to this is going to understand this. And that is that, okay, Jeff, if you work at Sportsnet, and your contract's up, and we lowball you, which we should because you're garbage. That's a good point, yeah. But if we lowball you, and then you say, take this, you do the old Johnny paycheck, take this job and shove it. And then you go out in the open market, and you don't get a great deal, you're not going back to your previous employer unless you absolutely have to. Like if somebody else offers you a deal you don't think it's great, you say, you know what? I'm taking that deal because I'm not going back. I feel unappreciated and I'm going to try my life somewhere new. Now, maybe you have a family situation that says, okay, I got to stay here or something else or you really love it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But most people are going to say exactly what Troy Stetcher and Toffoli did. They're going to say, you know what? I'm going to take this deal somewhere else because this place didn't appreciate me and I can start somewhere fresh. That's the way life works. I would do that. If you were my boss and you offered me a 50% pay cut and I said, I'm going on the market and you said, you do what you want. And I only got the same offer everywhere else. Do you think I'm coming back to you unless I have to? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. That's the way life works. So I don't think necessarily that Vancouver could do that deal with Stetcher or Vancouver could deal that deal with Toffoli. I think those players were like, you know what? I'm going somewhere else. Toffoli in particular, I don't know what the offers were, but I heard there were a lot of teams that checked on them. I heard Philly was there. I heard Carolina was there. I heard Boston was there. Someone told me that Ottawa was there, hmm. um, but Montreal finally got them. 
How much of this is, by the way, uh, they do end up getting an excellent defenseman in Nate Schmidt. Like there is a gift here. Like as much as Vancouver was torches at the castle gate, Monday was a gift for them. Like you get Nate Schmidt for a third round draft pick. That's a hell of a gift. It does cost you $5.9 million, but that's a hell of a gift that the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks got. But I, I look at it too and I say, you know, if I'm Vancouver right now, um, I've got Sutter coming off the books. I've got Edler coming off the books after another year. Jordy Ben coming off the books after another year. Um, after that, I've got Roussel off. I've got Beagle off. Like, I need to start worrying about Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson here. Well, uh, that's what it is, right? Like, they're sitting there and they're saying, we got to protect ourselves for this. Now, I'll tell you something else. I believe Vancouver had decided they were going to change the mix of their D. Mm -hmm. I've written about it. We've talked about it. They felt after that Vegas series, they couldn't come back with the same group. Nick Schmidt, I agree with you. He's a hell of a player. He's, I'm sure he's incredibly disappointed. Like You've got a long offseason here to get over that and prepare. And, and I just think Nate Schmidt is the kind of person that you bet on him with his personality saying, all right, I'm going to make it work. But the one thing I think you worry about in losing guys like Tanev is like those guys are Canucks, right? Yep. You know, I understand they didn't want to give him four years. And I, and if you want to make that bet, you can, but he's a huge personality of your team. He has, he's loyal to the uniform. He's loyal to the organization. Like I think you get guys who are mercenaries and you get guys who are loyal to the logo. And Tanner's one of those guys who's loyal to the logo. And I think it's tough to lose those guys. But I think Vancouver made a choice. Their choice was they wanted a point in the next few years where they could move Tanev down the lineup. They want a point where they could move Edler down the lineup. Mm -hmm. And now we'll see what they do. But they're thinner. They're not as good. And I'll tell you the other thing, too, is I'm wondering if they extend green. Why wouldn't they? I'm just saying, like, he's one year away yeah. from unrestricted free agency as a coach. And on paper, as it stands now, his team, is it looks worse. And because they brought in Schmidt for 5.9 and no salary went out or was retained, they're capped tight, too. Yeah, and they've got Jake Vertanen to do. And they've got Adam Gaudet to do. But they have an arbitration case, right? And so those players can take two. They can lock in at two. Well, also, now you have another buyout window. So here's the other thing about uh, your point about Chris Tanev, and I think it's a good one, too, about keeping players that have played in and play through your organization. Like, we just saw the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup, and every team's going to have players that have been traded to them, and we make a lot about that third line specifically. But... Those key guys are all brought in, go through Syracuse, make it to Tampa, win the Stanley Cup. And how many times have we looked at Nashville? Not so much in the blue line, but the forward mix and said, it's all trades. Like no one's been brought through the organization. It's not there. It's all, we grab this guy from over here. We got that guy from over here. Uh, this guy came as a package over here. We traded the other guy, but this guy stayed. I don't know. I think there's a lot to what you're saying about guys that play through the organization. I really do think that that means a lot to an organization. And we just saw with Tampa, 
The only organization that was different was Vegas, but all those guys had the chip on their shoulder, right? But that's it. Like it didn't feel like they're going to work. It felt like they had a they had a mission or they had a crusade. Like this is what we are doing. We have a goal. All of us, like we all look around the room and everyone said, okay, so who didn't want you? It's pretty motivating for a bunch of athletes because they all had the same story. I'm switching over to the uh, scotch now, by the way. Uh Oh, okay. It's going to get tasty. Okay. So let's hit a hot button. Let's do Chicago. And, uh, and this quote, I've never been told that we were going through a rebuild. This comes as a shock. Jonathan Taves, as Crawford goes to New Jersey, Brandon Saad goes to the Colorado Avalanche, Nikita Zadorov comes back the other way, and all of a sudden, you have Taves, and you have Kane, and you have Keith, and you have Seabrook saying, hold on a second here, I thought we were the Blackhawks. So my theory on this is that some of these teams that don't think they can win the Stanley Cup next year have just said, we're not spending. And you think Chicago's one of them? I do. So one of the theories is, and I don't know if it's true or not, is that John McDonough was fired, and one of the reasons was because he didn't want to rebuild. And when Chicago decided they weren't signing Corey Crawford and they re-signed Malcolm Subban and stayed internal, that said to me that they're kind of writing off next year a little bit. Now, that doesn't say to me that Malcolm Subban can't improve He can, but you don't think you're winning a Stanley Cup with that next year. And then the Brandon Saad trade. Now, I think they feel that Zadorov will add some meanness that they've been missing. But, you know, I don't think the players were thrilled about losing Saad. Mm -hmm. I think there's some players, you don't have to ask for their permission to do things, but you have to involve them. Specifically guys that have won you three Stanley Cups? Guys that have won you three Stanley Cups. Like, you got to just say, hey, guys, this is what we're thinking. Like, I've tried to track down Jonathan Taves in the offseason before. And he's very polite, but he's like, offseason is the offseason. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. For Jonathan Taves to go out and do that interview with The Athletic, Mm Mm-hmm. They want you to know how mad they are and disappointed they are. That's a big step. That doesn't happen a lot in hockey. You know, often in hockey, they'll do it through the agent or they'll tell you off the record and one of us will do it. Like, Taze put his voice to this. That's a big deal, Jeff. You know this sport. But how many times have we talked about, and this is why... I wanted to frame it with the quote from Jonathan Taves. This is, again, the great emerge. I still maintain the great emerging personality in the NHL that nobody knows about is Jonathan Taves. Everyone just knows the captain serious and furrowed brow and get the job done and angry in the penalty box and Brent Seabrook's got to calm him down. There are way more layers to this guy. And last year, as we talked about, During the return to play, Taves asked a lot of questions. Bingo. Like, there were players who told me that he was not afraid to challenge and ask the questions that needed to be asked. To be honest with you, I'm not surprised that it's Jonathan Taves. I know many might be, but just knowing, and again, I don't know Jonathan Taves. I know about Jonathan Taves. I know people that know Jonathan Taves. 
and have heard plenty of things that I really agree with about Jonathan Taves and his beliefs and his way of life, all of it. I'm not surprised one bit. I'm not surprised one bit. Like I read that Lazarus piece and I just, I'm bobbleheading the whole thing. Like, yep, yep. That sounds like John Taves, this emerging personality. And to your point, like, I think we're going to see a lot more of a, of a, of an outspoken Jonathan Taves than we ever have had before. Well, like I said, I'll give you an example. So during that whole return to play thing, when I heard that Taves was being very vocal, I tried to talk to him. And he got back to me through someone and politely said, no, what happens there stays there. You know, he didn't deny anything, Mm -hmm. but he simply said, I'm not going to discuss it. And he was polite about it. It was, I had no problem with it. So the fact that he went public with this, it tells you what a big deal it is. So what happens then with Chicago? These are beloved athletes. I mean, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, the whole thing, this whole foundation was built on them. These two going back to that first cup in 2010. And they've watched everyone around them leave. Coaches, GMs, players, goalies, everybody. Well, I think you have to explain to them what you're thinking. And I don't know if I'm expecting any of those guys to waive their no trades. And besides, even if they did, you think they're trading Jonathan Taves after the way he just played? You think they're trading Patrick Kane? Not a chance. The one guy, and in, in I think we've said this before. Duncan Keith. I think there are teams out there. You know, Keith's got three years left, but it is a bigger number now. It's 5.5. He is 37, but he keeps himself in unbelievable, I like to call it Friedman-esque condition. Oh, my. You know, like, exceptional condition yeah late matches off of him but is he gonna want to wave his no move depends how bad things get in chicago i don't know right i don't know like kane and taves would be real hard to do duncan keith less so and we've seen this before with player frustration especially proud players that are used to being on elite level teams and competing in the playoffs and every now and then winning the Stanley Cup. I could see it. I could see it with Keith. I don't know that I could see it with the other guys. His choice. His choice. He's got the no move. All right. Uh, St. Louis Blues bouncing around. Tory Krug. So they uh, they don't get the deal done with Alex Petrangelo, and they pick up Tory Krug. Seven years, $45.5 million. And the Boston Bruins are out uh, a defenseman, and as Petrangelo exits, Krug enters. Your thoughts on this deal? Well, first of all, I think Boston made one of the best free agent signings of, of Craig Smith. I thought that was a great deal. I think he's a really good player. Agreed. Krug was really upset. I think he was really hurt by what happened. And I wondered how public he was going to go, and he didn't... I mean, typical of a guy who beat a lot of odds to make it this far. Undrafted player, carved himself out to be one of the top echelon defensemen of the National Hockey League, and he let it fly. The offer I heard from Boston was 6 times 6.6, and apparently it was it came in September of 2019. And then it got pulled. This is what I heard. It was September of 2019, there was a counter. It went nowhere. And then I heard, although the agent won't say anything, that 
Krug or whoever, whoever you want to say, the agent's Louis Gross, made another offer last December. And it was, I assume, and I believe, was much bigger than 6 times 6.6. It was a much higher, and Boston said no. And then I heard they never talked again. Hmm. Never. And I believe there was some communication as St. Louis was making its offer, but it never went anywhere. And I think they were also told, as as Krug indicated, that the old six times six wasn't on the table anymore. You know, Krug really wanted to stay. He's a Bruin. But what I think happened was, I think St. Louis looked at two defensemen on that day. One was Krug. I'm not sure who the other one was, but one was Krug. And when the other one didn't happen, they made the deal with Krug. St. Louis can't be done yet. Like I look at Vince Dunn as an RFA. There are a lot of teams asking like, what's St. Louis going to do with Vince Dunn? Uh, He's a stealth offer sheet candidate. Is he not? Are there going to be any offer sheets? I don't know, but there's a lot of teams that are up against it right now. And an offer sheet, not like I've always, we've talked about this before, like not necessarily an offer sheet to the big boys. Right, we talk about Sergachev and Sorelli and Matthew Barzell, but those second tier guys like Devontae just got moved, uh, freeing up room there. But Ryan Pulak is a stealth candidate for one, as much as Matthew Barzell is. And why not Vince Dunn? St. Louis is up against it, and, and we're learning this right now, and everybody is learning this right now. There's no cash right now, none. So who's got the ability to do an offer sheet? I know that there's people out there thinking Columbus and maybe, you know, we know they talked about it last summer with Marner. Why not Detroit? That's what I keep coming back to. Why not Detroit? Yeah. They got tons of cap space. They have a bold general manager looking to redo their defense. But I know there's a lot of teams out there wondering about what St. Louis is going to do with Dunn. Maybe we should have got to this earlier because he's such a huge name. Uh, but Henrik Lundqvist signs with the Washington Capitals. One year, $1.5 million. Uh, they also pick up Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Justin Schultz, uh, comes in on a two-year deal. But Henrik Lundqvist is, you know, Henrik Lundqvist is the headline. And I can only imagine what the first game back at the Garden is going to be like. Shades of Ed Jockerman in a Detroit Red Wings jersey. Um, but your thoughts on Lundqvist going to Washington? Well, I'm happy for him. I, you know, I, I hope he gets a chance to win a cup. You know, he's going to play there. Yeah. And, you know, they're really good. So, I, you know, I, I wish Henrik Lundqvist the best. Uh, we haven't talked about Tampa, and we saw Tyler Johnson waved, and everybody said, no, if you want us to take Tyler Johnson, you need to put more sugar uh, in that coffee. What's happening with Tampa? Well, first I thought that they had a deal with somebody that was not on his no trade li- on his trade list, right? Because he has a full no trade. Yeah. But he said, you know, it had been reported and he and he'd admitted that he was willing to look at seven, eight teams and they couldn't make a deal. So I thought that what had happened was they put him on waivers and someone was going to take him, which obviously didn't happen. Now, one of the things that Johnson and the Lightning were saying was, you know, he's a Washington State guy. He'd be happy to go to the Kraken. You take him and then you leave him unprotected and Seattle takes him. Now, the problem with that is what if Seattle doesn't take him? Then you're on the hook for a lot of money. That's the issue with that plan. Like, in theory, that plan is excellent. 
But in practice, what if CL decides, nah, he's not the guy we want? Or you have to give us something for us to take him. Give us something yeah. to take the yeah, to the the burden of Tyler Johnson off your hands. Right. So I think that's part of the problem. Like I said, I think they've gone to Stamkos and they've asked him if he would waive. And there's a lot of secrecy around that right now. Mm-hmm. And I kind of understand it. There was some talk that he was willing to consider a couple of teams. And as we mentioned earlier, Vegas was one of them. But, you know, who knows? You know, the one thing about Stamkos this year is his salary is only a million dollars. His bonus has been paid. Most of his salaries and bonuses, and it starts to go down. But the issue is his health. You know, he's he's had some injuries. But I think Tampa would do that if they could. I don't think they want to trade Kalorn. Uh, there was all kinds of Kalorn. Uh, remember last year, the draft in Vancouver? Mm-hmm. There was all kinds. Of, oh, Kalorn's going to Buffalo. Don't worry. It's going to be a draft day thing. And that kind of Detroit, came I heard Detroit. and went. Detroit as well. Yeah. This is the, last year in Vancouver, because there was all the Tyson Berry to Vancouver Canucks talk. There was the uh, the Neil for Lucic trade, which someone on the draft floor on the Calgary side just denied completely and uncategorically to my face yeah there's a lot of that which is which is fine (laughs) i get it like hey so i hear this is happening oh no i don't know where you're making that up from which is fine and that person listens to this podcast and hello but yeah his name was out there for a while but again he's got the he has the the no trade as well or the the modified uh no trade clause this one is going to be an interesting bit of stick handling by julian brisebois this one's going to be a tricky one especially when when no one took tyler johnson like, what else are they going to attach? Yeah, I don't know. They traded their first-round picks. Oh, I wanted to get a quick thought in here on, we talked so much about honoring your word or honoring a verbal commitment. And first of all, the San Jose Sharks, uh, I thought at the uh, at the draft were outstanding. Doug Wilson Jr. signing the pick, Ozzy Weisblatt. Oh, yeah, that was great. What a perfect way to, to end the draft. So kudos uh, to the San Jose Sharks for doing that. And then, and you can say like, oh no, hockey needs to be more ruthless and it's a salary cap. And this year it's an economic disaster and you can't do things like that. Kevin LeBanc, four-year deal, $18.9 million coming off a very tough season for that young man. Uh, $4.75 million is the AAV after he did the uh, San Jose Sharks a solid coming in for $1 million last season. I looked at that. I just said, that is an honorable deal between two people. Yeah, no question about it. You don't think that one was sitting there for a year? Absolutely. Uh, Marcus Pedersen, same way with Pittsburgh. Like we've, Yeah, we've, Pittsburgh, yeah. We've, we've seen these before. Uh, a thought on the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Elliot, their situation, most recently picking up Tyler Toffoli. Look, Mark Bergevin, he had a checklist. Very quickly, after the Kapanen deal, you know, we're calling around, okay, what's next? What's next? And someone said, Mark Bergevin is going to be looking for a left-hand shot defenseman. That is a trade that you have to watch out for. Now, a couple days after he told me that, or this person told me that, Bergevin went out and they made the Edmondson deal. And that was number one on Bergevin's checklist. He wanted a left shot D. He also wanted a grinding winger. He went out and he got Josh Anderson. 
And I'll tell you a story. About, remind me to tell you a story about Josh Anderson. That's a whopper. You want to get back to Anderson or you want to do it next? That's a whopper. Seven years, $38 million. Yeah. I want to talk about that contract negotiation after. Okay. And then to Foley, like I said, it hurt he'd been interested. I didn't know if he was going to get him, but he wanted to get some scoring on the wings. Like everything that Bergevin, and he wanted a backup goalie, and he did that with Jake Allen. Like everything Bergevin has said that he wanted to do, he did. And Mark Bergevin, I am convinced, he thinks he has to make the playoffs next year. These are all moves made by someone who thinks he has to make the playoffs next year. And I think he's given himself as good a shot as he can get. Uh, the other deal we should point out as well is the uh, transaction that saw Max Domi end up a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Okay, so let me talk about Anderson for a second first. Okay. Josh Anderson, from what I understand, told Columbus one year or eight. That's all I'm signing for. Minimum or maximum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons Columbus made the deal. Because one year walks them right to UFA, mm-hmm. and I don't think they wanted to do eight because it was health. And then when Bergevin traded for him, apparently Anderson said the same thing. Minimum or maximum. You decide. Wow. You know, that's big brass ones. Like, that's that's a player unafraid. And I don't think Bergevin was crazy about it, but that was his choice. And so he got the seven. Domi, I reported, and it's true, Domi told them he didn't want to be traded. I just think that he wasn't trading Deneau. I think Bergevin didn't mind Deneau hearing his name in trade rumors a little bit because he wants to get him signed to an extension, and I don't think that's always been easy. But I do believe it was always going to be Domi over Deneau if he had a choice. Columbus was looking for a center. They want to move Jenner back to the wing. And Domi's a guy that, and they're looking for more offense. Domi's been up and down, but we know he's a 70 point player. Columbus was happy to make that deal because they couldn't get Anderson signed to where they wanted him. So when that deal was made, Anderson for Domi, I think eyebrows were raised everywhere. And I don't know that many people were, anyone who watched the Montreal Canadiens, specifically this past season, knew that something was off between the player and the coach. Yeah. I know that Domi hasn't wanted to address it, does just wants to leave it in the rearview mirror, wants to be a pro about it. But there was a disconnect there. Yeah. Like that was two different pages, Max Domi and Claude Julien. It was, but the guy he's going to is not any less demanding. John Tortorella. Yeah. Let's get to the Maple Leafs. And uh, Zach Bogosian, you're going to hear from here in a couple of moments. Uh, but a couple of headline makers there at... Uh, 12.01 Eastern. Yep. Anthony Stewart breaks the news on Twitter. Don't know how he got this scoop. Uh, that <laughs> lifetime buddy, Wayne Simmons, <laughs> signed uh, a one-year deal at $1.5 million with the Maple Leafs. We'll get the TJ Brody, but let's start there. Uh, Wayne Simmons to the Maple Leafs, $1.5 million. You know, apparently Simmons and uh, Dubas met the night before free agency. I don't know if that's been reported. Like, my head's a blur. I, I don't know what's been reported and what hasn't been reported. Okay. But apparently they met the night before. Was that reported anywhere? Did you see that? Not that I saw, no. Okay. Scoop! Woo! They met the night before. And, um, like, I think Simmons was looking for trying to do maybe a bit better than 1-5. But I think he was happy to come home to Toronto. Like, I, I got to tell you, like, 
the moment he put his jersey out there, 24, 2 plus 4 equals 6, the 6. I know people who plunked down 250 bucks right away. <laughs> Those MLSE gougers, they got people. I always think, you know, I, you, know you have you know, Wayne Simmons around town talking about how much he loved to play for the Maple Leafs. I, mean, I ever tell you a story that, uh, that Bill Waters told me about Wayne Gretzky and the Maple Leafs? I think you've mentioned it, but it's a great story. It's Wayne Gretzky. How can you go wrong? Oh, how can you go wrong? But, he, but here's a sort of peek into it. When the Maple Leafs had a chance to sign Wayne Gretzky, so Cliff Fletcher's the general manager and Bill's the assistant general manager. And Wilbur tells me he gets a call from, I guess it would have been Mike Barnett, who I think was the agent at the time saying, hey, you know, Wayne's always wanted to play for the Maple Leafs, would be interested in coming in. You know, just on a modest deal, like a $1 million deal, just wants to, you know, put on the jersey, etc. And so Wilbur takes us to Cliff and says, like, holy smokes, can you believe this? Like, Wayne Gretzky wants to play with Toronto. We can get him for a million dollars. And Cliff says, hang up the phone. And Wilbur's like, what are you talking about? He says, this is how it's going to go. We're going to start negotiating. And it's going to be around a million dollars. And then their side is going to leak it to the media and the whole marketplace is going to be chummed with the excitement that Wayne Gretzky is coming into Toronto and that $1 million will turn into $3 million. Hang up the phone now. Hmm. And that's why it didn't go. Come in low, get that marketplace all excited, and then change the price. Wilbur loved telling that story about uh, about how close he thought the Maple Leafs were to getting uh, Wayne Gretzky. But I thought about that as Wayne Simmons and Vancouver was, would say the same thing, right? Absolutely. Pat Quinn always said it was because the ownership said, get it closed tonight. And he's like, no, he's going to say do it tomorrow. And they said, no, get it closed tonight. And Gretzky got annoyed at that. And that was it. TJ Brody, four-year deal, $20 million. They get the defense when they, they tried to get once in the Kadri deal. That's right. They liked him a lot. Calgary was, I think, was only willing to go to four and a half. I think also Calgary was at a point where they were like, we have to change our mix a bit too. So I think Calgary really thought about it, about, you know, going to the extra number. And, and then I just think they said, we have to change it up here. And so they moved on. You know, Brody is a guy Toronto's liked for a while. I think there was another team in this too. But Toronto has had interest in him, as you said. And, you know, I think they talked about Uyghur from Florida. Mm -hmm. And I think there was something going on there. I think the Leafs were interested. I think Florida was interested. And I still think Uyghur might get traded. I've heard there's been a lot of teams that have looked at him. I, You know, I think Colorado looked at him, but they got Devon Taves. So, you know, that's not going to happen. I think Boston is still around there, and I heard Anaheim was still there. I mean, I've heard the Winnipeg rumors too. Like, I think there's a few teams talking to Florida about Uyghur, but Toronto was definitely in there. I think that, I think that Florida made an ask, and I think they were looking at Janssen, who's now traded, and Dermot, and I think Toronto turned that down, mm-hmm. and then they ended up with Brody and Bogosian. And Bogosian, as you'll hear, he wanted to come to Toronto. You know, the big question is, do you think Toronto's better? See, Toronto is one of those teams where you expect internal improvement from Matthews, from Marner, from Nylander, those players specifically. So I think Toronto is better based on those players improving. I mean, these guys are all still 
you know, 23, 24 years old. So I always say from one year to the other, yeah, these guys are, this is a better team because those guys are going to be better. Do you think they're better? I think they're better, but I think the best players have to be better. What did Tampa tell you this year? You need depth. Like their depth players were great. Coleman was great. Gord was great. Goodrow was great. Kalorn was great. But they won because their best players were dynamite. You know, the goalie played every game. Yeah. Hedman won the con Smythe. Kucherov had more assists in a playoff year than anyone not named Gretzky or Lemieux. And Braden Point was fantastic. Your best players have to carry you. All drafted players, by the way. Yes. So what you have to do if you're Toronto is, yes, you have to make yourself better on the edges, but you have to challenge your best players to be even better. The interesting thing I heard too is that I heard that you know they signed VC. I think they offered that contract around to a couple different guys for 900K. And I think VC was the guy they kind of wanted, mm-hmm. but I think they also spoke to Connor Sherry about it. I think they also spoke to Nemesnikov about it. Who ended up going to the Detroit Red Wings. For more money. On a two-year deal, uh, $2 million a year. I know these things generally get sorted out before you get to the room, but what kind of comparable can Ilya Mikheyev have in arbitration after playing 39 games? I think the team is going to try to get him in around 1-5. I'm sure the player wants more than that. You always look for what the leverage point is here. And is the leverage just, I could go to the KHL? Uh, that is the leverage, yes. You know, don't forget, Toronto has some a couple of players here. They have Barabanov coming. Yep. And they have Letnin coming. And, like, I got to tell you, this guy Letnin. Defenseman of the week in the KHL this week. Defenseman of the year last year. I was talking to someone who's watched him a few times already this year. And he said, look, like, you never know how... It will go. Like you never know, is is a player going to adapt to the NHL ranks? Is the player going to adapt to life? Like there's always things that you have to check and see. How does the changeover go in a guy's game and his life? But they said as a pure player, this guy can play. And you know what it gives you? Listen, and I always talk about this to the draft every year. That's why I loved what Calgary did, trading down a couple of times. Get yourself as many lottery tickets as possible whether it's draft picks or, or players like Miko Lettinen, it's a lottery ticket. And if it pays off, that can pay off humongous for you if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's a huge one. And so far, all the hurdles mm-hmm. overseas, he's passed. And he's in at 925. That's a great lottery ticket if you're the Maple Leafs. Speaking of Maple Leafs defensemen, Zach Bogosian, Elliot. We're going to hear from the uh, the Maple Leaf defenseman here in a couple of seconds. Can we before we go to Zach Bogosian? I just want to talk about one story that's breaking as we do this, and it's not a story that will be hugely on the radar, but I think it is a significant story. So Danny Rillen Kearney, who's been the commissioner of the uh, National Women's Hockey League since its inception, was replaced as commissioner today, and she's still involved in the organization but she's no longer uh, the commissioner. And at times, Jeff, you and I, we've waded into women's hockey. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, it is an extremely complicated story. And it has not always been an easy story to report on. There was the NWHL, there was the Canadian League that folded last year. 
and the rivalry between those two leagues was fierce, as fierce and probably even more fierce than any rivalry in the NHL right now in terms of teams. If you talk to anyone on either side when it was on, it was nasty and Elliot personal. Nasty and personal. And I remember a few years ago when they had the outdoor game in Boston, when they were negotiating to put that together, I broke that story. And it's one of the more difficult stories I ever had to negotiate because I found out the politics behind the scenes and the NHL told me that they had no idea about the level of dislike between those two leagues and how difficult it was to get the deal done. And every time I reported on it, I would hear from someone, multiple people, who would say I was playing favorites on either side. Like I knew I was being pretty fair because both sides would complain about my reporting. Mm-hmm. And it was very passionate and there, there would be times I would look at my phone after a conversation or a text message or an email or whatever and say, I can't believe this. And I just would say this about Danny Rillen Kearney, and there's going to be people who don't like that I'm going to say this about her. That league was, was her baby. It was her passion. She created it. Like everyone else, she made good moves. She made bad moves. I can't imagine that this is easy for her because she poured everything into it. And I know there's going to be a lot of people who say, you know, she didn't do the right things, whatever. I'm just saying that I know this is a person who created this and wanted to make it work. And I know what it's like when it's taken away from you and that's got to hurt. And I just want to say that I don't know enough to know if it was the right decision or the wrong decision. I had heard tonight it was brewing. The team that's in Toronto, I think they're going to be a real power broker. The chairwoman of the team, Tyler Taminia, is the one that takes over on an interim capacity. She's the, yeah, the interim commissioner. I've heard that's going to be a power broker team. I heard that this was a move it pushed for. I still wonder, like, does the NHL ever get to a point where there's a WNHL they have denied they're working on it, but I, I think they've at least looked at the possibility and considered the possibility. You know, I know it's not the biggest story tonight, but in hockey circles, it's a big deal. Like this is someone who, like I said, created something from nothing, was very passionate about it. She had her defenders. She had her detractors. There were people who swore by her. There were people who disliked her. But at the end of the day, she put a ton of effort into it. And I think we should recognize that this is a significant change. And I'm sure it's not easy for her. I'm sure it's not. Like I said, it was it was her blood. And just one final thought on that WNHL um, issue. There were many, and COVID threw a wrench into everything and scotched the remainder of the season after the middle of March. There were many that were expecting some type of information from the NHL towards the end of what would have been last season on that. I don't know what it was, but there were a lot of people that were expecting some type of information. At the outdoor game, I reported they were working on it. They denied it. I still think there's something there, but we'll see. I mean, especially now, like COVID, right? Yeah. It's decimating the business and not just hockey everywhere. Like I got to tell you, I was reading about Cleveland the other day in baseball and they're going to probably let Lindor walk. 
over money. And it's the sign of the times, right? I mean, all these leagues, they're getting rocked. One thing I did want to mention before we wrapped up, and um, you pinned this on your Twitter, uh, Aaron Ambrose, who uh, plays with the national program, a uh, member of the PWHPA. Uh, we had her on 31 Thoughts when we were doing all those YouTube videos in the summer, and that's where we got to know her, and I've uh, become good friends with her ever since. Uh, she has a piece up right now uh, at the Hockey Canada website, hockeycanada.ca, and I strongly would encourage everybody to read this one, have a look at it, and amplify it as well uh, if you can. It's a piece where Erin talks about her struggles with mental health and trying to figure out who she is. You know, we we talk a lot on this podcast about not cheering for teams, but cheering for people. And Erin is one of those people that I cheer for. And we talk a lot uh, about the great people in hockey. And this sport is littered with plenty of them. Uh, and Aaron Ambrose is top of that list for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, I want to read you a, a little bit of this. And again, strongly encourage you all to read it. This is part of uh, the piece called In My Own Words, Aaron Ambrose. As the hockey season came and went, I continued to have issues with my overall happiness and struggled to, quote, find myself. I changed schools and started living with a teammate who was one of my best friends in hopes of turning the page and getting myself out of my own head and back to enjoying my teenage years. I longed to find true happiness and escape the emptiness that weighed on me daily. I felt more distant than ever from my family, found myself questioning if I wanted to be involved with Hockey Canada. And most alarming, there were days that I contemplated my future. I found myself questioning my will to be alive. Talked to Erin before she released this and I said, listen, you're really putting yourself out there and you have my full support and entire community support. Does this scare you at all? And she said, no, I'm not scared putting it out at all. Uh, It's important to help people. She said, my only concern is that my message won't go far enough and not enough people uh, will hear it. So uh, if you read it, uh, and again, Elliot's got it pinned on his Twitter. You can go to Aaron's Twitter. She has it up there at Ambrose underscore 13. Have a read. Amplify if you can. Aaron Ambrose, thoughtful a person as she is talented, a hockey player. Not my style, not my call. She knows her God is someone's more lawyers like they're the yard like home on a shore. Let me off Zach Bogosian, one year, $1 million, plays with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Give us your thoughts, or do you have a a story or two about Zach Bogosian before we hear the interview? 
Well, the one, and I don't want to give it away, is, is the one about how close he came to signing in Toronto this year. I was glad he was willing to talk about it because it's, it's, I think it's a pretty interesting story. Pretty funny story how the Zamboni driver, David Ayers, changed the course of history. And helped win the Tampa Bay Lightning a Stanley Cup. <laughs> I, that would be the one that I would kind of laugh at and, and smile at and talk about the most. But uh, Bogosian was a good guest. He's a good talker. Oh, as you're about to find out, here he is, Zach Bogosian, Maple Leafs defenseman on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. We talk a lot on this podcast about cheering for people, cheering for great stories, uh, wanting happy endings. And as a Tampa Bay Lightning defeated the Dallas Stars, uh, there's a few people I think that we all thought of. And I think a lot of us thought of our next guest, Zach Bogosian, now of the Toronto Maple Leafs. First of all, Zach, uh, congratulations on both the Cup and the Maple Leafs contract. I want to ask you before we get all the, the Maple Leafs stuff and peer into your into your background, Describe those moments. I'm always curious what goes through someone's head. You had a tumultuous year. Mm-hmm. Describe, you know, the you know, the clock is counting down and you become a Stanley Cup champion. What's going on between your ears? It's a surreal feeling, uh, obviously. Sorry, my, my daughter just busted in. Um, <laughs> no worries at all. Mila, Mila, go back inside, honey. Dad's doing an interview. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's okay. It's all good. Yeah, those feelings, uh, you know, when you're on the bench and it's, you know, you see the clock going down. I think, I think it was Barclay Goodrow blocked the shot, and it ended up going out to neutral zone. I think it was him. Just that feeling of excitement. Um, you know, it's surreal. Obviously, being a hockey player and you're about to win your first Stanley Cup. For me, it was such a. I don't know how to explain my year in a word, but it was a. Uh, up and down year for sure. And I, I always tried to stay positive throughout the entire process. And, you know, there was times when there were the, the low moments of my career and obviously finishing off, you know, the 2020 season was the highest moment of my career. So you just think of how far you've come as an individual, as a group, you know, I love my family. So I think about them. Yeah. It's just a ton of uh, emotions that are kind of rifling through you. And then, uh, once you see the cup, obviously, is it's such an exciting. I mean, it's the greatest trophy in sports. It's the most beautiful thing. Yeah, it was it was an awesome experience. You know, Zach, we're watching this on TV, and it's so different because normally part of the fun thing about winning the cup is celebrating. Your families come on the ice. You're there with your wife, and how did this get celebrated? You know, this was different because nobody could be there. So how did the lightning as a team and yourself individually celebrate it? Yeah. I mean, obviously um, the only one that had one was Pat Maroon as far as a player. And then some of the staff was uh, around in 04 when they won. So 
obviously super new for all of us. So we never really knew how the the celebration would have gone uh, with the families. But hearing them talk about it, it was awesome that they had their families there in the years before. But to kind of share that moment, you know, with the guys, you know, you were you were away from your families for so long. You're you're together with these guys every single day for. I think if you're including training camp, you know, basically 80 something days, you know, I know that was 60 something in the bubble, but then you got to factor in, you're going to the rink every day. And basically during a, a quarantine and a pandemic, you're really only hanging out at home or with your, your teammates. So just to have that experience with the guys in the room was awesome. I look back and I have a ton of pictures and videos on my phone that I'll cherish forever, but just to be present and live in that moment, you feel so grateful to be able to share it with a group of guys that was an amazing group of guys. I think people think of the Tampa Bay Lightning and they think of high-end skill. But if you actually you know, cut the team down and get to know most of the guys in the team, they're amazing human beings. And it was a fun group to be a part of for sure. What does it feel like coming to the rink every day as a, uh, as a right-side defenseman, knowing uh, you're going to be on either – paired with uh, Hedman or McDonough or Sergachev. Describe that feeling as a defenseman. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong. Um, I wouldn't say it's an easy transition, but I, I mean, you, you got a guy in Hedman that's, you know, one of the best players in the world, best defenseman in the world. You have a guy, Ryan McDonough, who if you're a hockey fan, obviously you know of him as the, you know, such a great, competitor but if you really know the game and you watch ryan mcdonough play he's everything he does from the little things to the big things it's basically a defenseman's dream to be able to play the way he does to skate the way he does to think the game the way he does and compete especially as a a fellow american that uh, has known ryan since we were 16 and 17 coming up in the, the usa hockey stuff together to see him every day and what he was up close was special. And then get to Sergachev and, I mean, what can't the kid do? I mean, he's he's an all-around defenseman. He's tough. He competes. He's got a bomb of a shot. He's got good hands, and he can make plays. So, basically, anytime you're walking into the rink and your name is next to one of those guys, which we did quite a bit, um, the <laughs> deep pairings changed all the time during that. It was a pretty cool feeling. that The back end, it was a – it's a fun group to be a part of. So it's hard for me to look at the overall Zach Bogosian story of this past year and not think of David Ayers because the night that he goes in net for Carolina in Toronto is a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday morning, Zach, you're supposed to meet with the Toronto Maple Leafs and all indications are that you're going to sign there. Yeah. And then David Ayers and Carolina beat the Leafs and the Leafs are so frustrated, they cancel the meeting, mm-hmm. and you end up in Tampa. Isn't fate a crazy thing? It is, um, and that is that is true. Um, you know, when I was going through my situation in Buffalo and not really sure what my future was you know, going to hold, Toronto was obviously a team that I thought I could help. They showed interest, you know, and, and it was something that I thought I could – step in the lineup and, and, and help out their team right away. And obviously that didn't work out. I go to Tampa, win the cup, you know, talking to Kyle, he, the Leafs 
you know, after that, they had a chance to play some of their younger guys, which I think, you know, set the leaps up better for the future as well, just to get those younger guys some experience, uh, get some NHL games and, and scenarios under their belt. So essentially, I say, I guess you could say it worked out for both of us and then to come full circle and, and be able to sign, you know, with the Leafs, um, obviously is cool. It's something that I think it was a long time coming and super excited about it. Yeah, what was that? I mean, as Elliot mentions before that David Ayers game, because you know we all were getting you know texts and questions like you know why is why is Zach Bogosian skating with Yari Bursky at Von Iceplex? What's <laughs> what's going on here? Like what was yeah. what was going through your mind, Zach? What was going through my mind? A lot. Uh, <laughs> obviously, that was the first time in my entire career that I was ever a so-called free agent. And it was in the middle of the season. So I never really envisioned myself being a free agent in the middle of a season. But I wanted to stay ready and I wanted to stay in shape. And I, I wouldn't be doing myself any favors if I sat at my house and sat in my basement and felt bad for myself. There wasn't one time during my entire experience that I, I felt bad for myself. I was extremely motivated. I'm an extremely competitive person, which I'm sure you know people that get to know me, they understand that about me. And for me, I was just like, I'm staying ready no matter what happens. At this point, I've gotten myself to a situation where I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to stay confident, believe in myself, believe in my morals and my values and just kind of stick with it. And it's nice for a situation like that to come, you know, full circle, like I said, to be able to win the cup and Hmm. to be able to try to bet on yourself a little bit in a, in a situation that was not very fun to go through. But in the same breath, I look at everything as a learning experience. And I learned a lot from the past year. You can be at your lowest of lows in, in the hockey world and then finish off the highest of highs. So I learned a lot this year. People have told me you have a pretty big temper. Now you mostly direct it at yourself, not so much at others. So, you know, this has been a hard year for a lot of people, Zach, just because of everything the world has been through. And I'm sure you had to find ways to, to handle that temper and that disappointment and that hard year you went through. What got you through it? How did you do it? Yeah, I I guess, uh, I do have a, a little bit of a temper. I, I, I <laughs> usually tend usually tend to use that on the ice. But obviously, when you go through a, a situation uh, in your professional life that not a very fun thing to go through, I'd be lying if I said it was fun to go through. But at the end of the day, I mean, I I found motivation in being in that situation and, and being able to mentally stick with it and, and stay strong and my family obviously is a huge part of that. I've talked about my family multiple times over the last few months doing media and my wife is my number one supporter and just to come home to a, a happy family with three three kids with smiles on their faces obviously got me through that and think about my mom and dad and all the sacrifices they made and just to get through the year that I got through and I wake up every day and try to be motivated, try to learn try to be a better person and, and, and doing all that. There's ups and downs for sure. When you're, when you're that type of person, when you're always trying to be motivated and you're always trying to find that extra inch of motivation, but I was happy that I stuck with it. And I test myself all the time, whether that's mentally, physically, I've always been like that my entire life. I think I wouldn't have gotten to the national hockey league if I was any different in 
for me, it was, it was an exciting time of year for me where I could potentially go on a playoff run and, and have it come to the, the Stanley Cup final and to win the cup was, it was such a great experience. Now, you mentioned you like to test yourself. Yes. You are in great shape. Mm-hmm. You pride yourself that you are in great shape. Is there anyone you look at in the NHL and say, damn, that guy's in better shape than me? Um, I mean, there's a ton of guys that are in great shape. I think what separates some guys from others is I've always been a smaller guy my entire life, which comes to a surprise to a lot of people. But yeah, I was I was always the smallest kid on all my teams. I was always short and skinny, and I was the kid with big hands, big feet, and like big kneecaps. But like everything else was just like I was just wiry, <laughs> and uh, I always played a few years up. I was always going against bigger, stronger kids, so that was instilled in me at like a young age. But as far as guys around the league, I mean, you look at just guys that I have firsthand experiences with is like a guy like Chris Kreider, who is an absolute specimen. Uh, I had a most recently, uh, Victor Hedman is the most proportionate six foot six hockey player you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> he looks like a, a Viking for whatever He's absolutely jacked. He's huge and he moves like he's six foot tall um, and 180 pounds and he is just a specimen. So you look at guys, especially the bigger guys that can do that. It's super impressive. All right. Sticking with workouts then, because this is um, was sort of legendary and I know there were a lot of victims of it in Atlanta, Rick Dudley's 10, 10 and eight. Yeah. <laughs> what can you tell now that's like what 10 incline 10 speed like describe those workouts for people that may not be familiar because those were legendary yeah so it's a, a treadmill test um you have the the speed on 10 the incline on 10 the 10 10 8 so there's eight reps but you have to go as long as you can every single rep now you can cheat and you can go <laughs> for like a minute and be like okay i'm done and then you can like get like a halfway decent score but i don't remember the final timing of, of things, but it was just, you get on there and you just give it all you got for as long as you can. And then I think you, I don't know how long the, the rest is in between. I can't remember that uh, detail, but it was super tough. And Duds is notorious for a lot of that fitness testing. Yep. And it's funny because you'd be doing that stuff. Yep. And then like, I don't know how old Duds is right now, but that was, I don't know, 11 years ago, probably. And like you'd walk in the weight room and he would just be like bench pressing like 300 pounds. And I'm like, this guy's an animal. (laughs) And you know, what's funny is he'd be wearing like a sleeveless shirt with like a sweatband, like just like how he played. Like when he played. Yes. Yeah. You know, he played with a sweatband like him and him and Craig Ramsey, I think. Yeah. So he would, I was just like, this guy is a maniac, which is being, uh, wired a certain way you see stuff like that and you're like this is awesome and it's a legendary player he's your general manager and he's doing bench press and i don't know how old he was but he was benching a lot more than i'll ever be able to at that age he would have been 60 then crazy right yeah he was an animal so who was the best and who was the worst at that then in atlanta I'll give him a little grief. You got to ask Stewie, Anthony Stewart. I, I don't know how he did on the, on the treadmill. <laughs> <test>. <laughs> I can, I'll bust on him a little bit just cause, uh, 
<laughs> I got a chance to play with him and knowing that uh, you guys know him a little bit. But uh, yep. I think Toby Enstrom was always really good at the treadmill. He's uh, obviously in phenomenal shape, but he was a really good runner because I think a lot of those Swedish guys play soccer growing up. So I remember him doing pretty well. He was always in really good shape. So speaking of Stewie, so he showed this on television, you know, your Tampa Bay Lightning are winning the Stanley Cup and he shows us the most reluctant fight he's ever had. And it's with you. I guess it's after you hit Andreas Nodal and he kind of sheepishly said, we kind of got to do this and sort of seat belted you and then fell down. What was your perspective on that fight to to complete the story? Uh, Yeah, I hit Nodal on on a questionable hit. He comes up to me we were in Carolina and he said, uh, we got to go. And I said, okay. And, uh, I asked him if he wanted to square off or just grab right away. And he didn't like really say anything. And then I was like, are we doing it? And then (laughs) finally the puck dropped. And then like, he like kind of took a step to me and I like, wasn't really sure what he was doing. And then he just like grabbed me and we both dropped our gloves. And Winnipeg attempts to get it out. And now a scrap. Payback for Zach Bogosian and Anthony Stewart is the one who obliges. Of course, Bogosian had the big hit on Andreas Nodal in Winnipeg on the 18th of March. And that one's over quickly. And that's what we said. Make sure you watch that type of response earlier in this hockey game. And uh, We both kind of fell down. So it wasn't really uh, much of a fight. A little odd fighting one of your former teammates, but... Uh, I looked at the ref because it was such a short fight. I think I looked at one of the referees and I was like, you're not giving me a five minute for that. I better just be like a, maybe like a, a roughing. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a funny, I remember that. I was expecting it because they had a tough team. They had Stewie, I think they had Gleason, a couple other guys that were, you know, known for being pretty tough. And Stewie was super tough and he's a lefty. And uh, yeah, I was kind of expecting it. But yeah, it was funny that we... Uh, we got a little tangle there. I can't remember who told me this, but one guy said the worst is when they give you two minutes for delay of game. Like, that's always the worst <laughs> feeling. Did you guys see? I got that this year. Where was that? Scott Lawton, I think. He hit uh, Blake Coleman from behind. Blake Coleman taken down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, like, dropped my gloves in the middle of the play, and I grabbed them. Gloves are down. Scott Lawton squares off with Zach Bogosian after that hit. And I don't think there's a penalty on Lawton. I don't think so. I think the referee knew that Coleman embellished it a bit, and Bogosian came into... What does he get? (laughs) Well, he's the one who ended up should should be the one getting the penalty, but I don't believe an original call will be on Lawton. And then I think it was Wes. I think Wes McCauley was just like... He didn't even attempt to fight you. You can't do that. So he's like, delay a game. I'm like... I mean, come on. He's like, give me a bone here. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, really? Like, give me like a roughing or misconduct or something. Like, it was in the bubble this year. It was in Toronto. And I like dropped my gloves. And I think I got like a delay a game. And I'm like, oh, man, that does not look good. <laughs> you know, sp- sp- <laughs> speaking of that game, because that was in the, the qualifying round. Okay. Yes. You don't have to get anyone in trouble that you don't want to get in trouble. But. I have heard that for the teams playing in the qualifying rounds in Toronto and in Edmonton, things were not taken as seriously as they were in the playoff rounds for obvious reasons. What were the differences between the qualifying rounds and the playoff rounds for the teams that did both? Uh, I think when we first got to Toronto, I mean, Hotel X was a nice hotel. It was a nice facility, so... 
we obviously had already secured our spot and uh yeah the first four or five days it was kind of a bit of like a resort for us <laughs> we we enjoyed our, ourselves at the <laughs> pool and the rooftop but then once game one happened obviously it, you're in a hotel with you know so many other guys from around the, the league and other teams and it's like you're gonna bump into guys all the time whether it's the elevator at the restaurant or whatever but you know obviously you're gonna be somewhat friendly to most of them but once the game started it was uh pretty much all business if there was a team at a certain level in the hotel or in the in the restaurant it was all right let's just avoid that and go to our own area so that's kind of what it was but the first few days it was a ton of fun okay I've been dying to ask you this one for a while. So when I think of Zach Bogosian, the phrase old school comes to mind and not necessarily just old school, but the school they burned down to build the old school. <laughs> and one of Zach, one of the great, I remember talking to Jeff Tui a while ago, who uh, was your general manager with the Peterborough Peets of the OHL. And just for context, uh, for those that don't know the OHL, so Zach played with the Peterborough Peets and their historic rivals were always the Oshawa Generals. And these two teams did not mix well. The games took four hours. Like it is the one of the great rivalries in Canadian junior hockey. So this is your, I want to say this would have been your second year in the OHL and you're playing with the Peterborough Peets and you're playing in the all-star game. And that year it's in Sault Ste. Marie mm -hmm. and you're driving to the game uh, with Jeff Tui, your general manager, and you turn to him. Uh, and at that point, John Tavares and Michael Delzato are playing on the Oshawa Generals. And you turn to him and you say, when I get there, do I have to be nice to these guys? Do I have to pretend to be nice to these guys? See, I love that, Zach. Do you remember yeah. that conversation with Tui and, and how much of that is just Zach Bogosian? Because now kids mix and they all play spring hockey together and they work out together and everybody knows each other and they're yeah. chummy at center ice before games, but that ain't you. Right, yeah. That's a true story. Uh, I remember we're driving from Peterborough to Toronto, and then we jumped on a plane from Toronto to um, Sault Ste. Marie. And I was just curious, because I, like, where I'm from in Messina, New York, like, I never played against any of these guys that were, like, super highly touted to go to the OHL. Like, I, I had never even really was on the radar for too many guys, just because I grew up, you know, in New York State, but rural new york state so uh when i played in peterborough against oshawa those games like you said were super intense and it was good and bad for me because i i never looked at any guy in the ohl as like oh man like that's an amazing player i'm like kind of starstruck because you can be at times of you know an 18 19 year old kid that's been drafted in the nhl is playing against the 16 year old kid and it's i'm sure it could be a little but i never had that feeling so I just remember we had so many battles with with uh, with Oshawa, and I always gotten into it. With, like my job as a defenseman was, you know, shut down John, and it, that was a full job in itself because he was such an amazing player. And then you know Delzato, you know, in, in at that time in junior was just a, like a extremely offensive, dynamic defenseman, and he was super good as well. And I just never wanted to get comfortable or them get comfortable around me or me get comfortable around them enough where like we lose that edge on the ice. And obviously I'm not walking around looking to like beat people up off the ice, but if I can just like keep that competitive edge where it's like professional, then yeah, I do believe in that stuff. But yeah, me and John 
especially used to battle all the time. Um, so basically when John jumped on the ice, my job was to hop over the boards and try to make his night as long as possible. But a lot of times he made, he made my night <laughs> pretty long. So, so it was a fun, it was a fun rivalry for sure. What well, what do you think of it now when you see kids, you know, uh, you know, playing on your team and, you know, they're chummy with kids on the other squad? I mean, that is not you, but I mean, we're all mature. We're all grown ups about this. But is there a part of you that says, man, can you please just cut that out? Yes and no. I mean, obviously, kids nowadays are so good that a lot of them play against each other and these like high end tournaments growing up. So like there's a relationship there. I, I get that. I never had that. So it's easy for me to say what I just said. but. You know, I think for the most part, guys that play a certain way know there's a line that you just don't cross, especially when you're trying to win a hockey game. I have a really cool story was my brother Aaron was at Columbus's camp my first year in Winnipeg. We had just got to Winnipeg and Aaron had signed with the Springfield Falcons and me and Aaron were playing against each other in a preseason game. And all I did that game was try to take my brother's head off. That's all I did was <laughs> I ran him. We almost got into a fight. We had each other like locked up, like where we were almost about to fight. And then we looked at each other and we were like, yeah, mom wouldn't like this very much. <laughs> and we just kind of let each other go. Uh, there's cool pictures of me, like, you know, hitting my brother and him hitting me. And that's just, you know, once the puck drops and you put your helmet on, that's you're, you're trying to win a game. And that's that's what I believe in. Okay, so Vicky wouldn't have liked that. What about Ike, your dad? Would he have liked that? He probably would have loved it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, my brother would probably beat me up. He was, uh, <laughs> you know, he played in the American League, played in the East Coast League, and uh, he was a tough customer. So, yeah, my dad probably would have gotten a chuckle out of it, even though it, it wouldn't. he wouldn't have seen anything he didn't see growing up because that's all me and my brothers did was beat on each other and wrestle all my entire childhood. So of all the guys you've played against, Zach, who was the hardest when you got into a dressing room and that player was on your team? Who was the hardest to put it behind you and say, this guy is my teammate now? So for me, I'm usually like what happens on the ice stays on the ice. I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at that. For the longest time, me, <laughs> I wanted to like – just grab a hold of Yanni Gord. That was like my one, <laughs> my one guy that I always is like, this guy bothers me. Plays so hard. He's so effective. But it wasn't hard for me to get past that. It was, he's an amazing guy. He's so loved in, in that locker room in Tampa. But that was one guy when I was like flying down to Tampa, I'm like, I wonder what Yanni Gord's like. I was really curious. Hmm. But then it, it got to the point where, I looked at him one time and I was like, it makes full sense why I did not like you when I played against you because he plays so hard and I got, he's so competitive and he works so hard and his work ethic is just like through the roof. And then he's just a, this energetic, fun, loving guy, you know, off the ice. It's great. All right. I got two more for you. Number one, I heard that after you lost game five and overtime to Dallas, Stamkos, who by that point was out for the year, came in and gave like a really, like lifted everybody up. Is that true? Yeah, he was there. Obviously, that was a tough game to lose because we, we thought we, we had them, right? They were battling and they worked. Dallas, you know, stuck with it and, you know, came back. But it was like 
we just had chance after chance after chance. I think in the first overtime, I think we only allowed one shot, one or two shots. I can't remember the exact number, but to lose after having so many chances, you can go one of two ways. You can get frustrated, you can hang your head and feel bad for yourself, or you can kind of just say, all right, stick with it. We keep playing that way. We're going to win no matter what. Like it's, it's just a matter of time. And that was kind of the message that Stammer said. Um, I won't get into it too much because I'm big on on locker room talk, staying in the locker room. But he was such an uplifting, inspirational individual for us that entire run. As a reporter, I'm against the what's said in the locker room stays like, just so you know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you was about this decision. You know, you could have gone somewhere for more money. You had a bigger offer. Mm-hmm. Why did you say, no, it's Toronto? So I, I think as a as a veteran, this is like my first actual crack at being uh, a free agent where I could like have a little bit of time to think about it. Like when I became a free agent in the middle of the season, like I kind of had to make a decision like pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking to a lot of different teams and different scenarios and different teams are at different points in the standings and so that was like a different experience toronto was always on my radar um when i went through that process and then when i went through this process it was you know you're you're curious to see how the market plays out you're curious to see what teams are going to do you know leading up to you know in the draft there was a lot of guys that got bought out or traded and there was a lot of action that kind of makes you like open your eyes a little bit so i was just really curious to see how it all all played out and I talked to the teams that that were interested and for some reason Toronto just kept coming back to my mind of reminding me a little bit of my situation in, in Tampa where they had a super skilled team and they were just looking to add some depth and some experience and kind of bring that physical aspect so it was an easy decision once I made it but obviously being a free agent you're you wouldn't be doing yourself any favors if if you didn't listen to other teams as well. Um, and I had some good talks with, with other teams, but essentially at the end of the day, I came down to, all right, Toronto is the spot that I want to play. And I feel like that's the the best available option for me. Not so much, you know, financially, you can always try to get more money, but getting that taste of winning and, and kind of looking at the group that we have in Toronto, it's, it's a very similar situation where we have a lot of high-end players that, are already there in place in that core group of guys. And if you add a few more pieces in there, which they did, I think we're going to have a good shot at it. So that was kind of my whole thought process during all of it. All right. And, uh, and Zach, last one here. And we thank you for your time. I know this is a busy media day uh, for you and you're spending a lot of time with us and we really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll put the link uh, to this video up in the, in the show notes. But as you, you move to the Toronto Maple Leafs, a video pops up of an 18 year old Zach Bogosian with the Atlanta Thrashers in a pimped out Escalade. It's a two minute video of you describing your sound system. Yep. A, do you still have the car? And B, uh, well, B, is that an affliction shirt that you're wearing? And, uh, and C, what do you remember from? For making that video all the stuff in here is jail audio and i have two 13 and a half inch subwoofers back here and uh it's pretty loud didn't expect it to have anything look like this i mean i mean i had my, a few of my buddies at home have stuff like this but you know it's it's good i like the way it turned out it's a lot of fun just for me just having it because you know like i said i've enjoyed it since i was young i enjoy music and uh, it's definitely something I've always wanted to do.
A, I don't have the car. I don't have the Escalade anymore, the vehicle. B, I don't think it's Affliction. I believe it might be uh, Express. I think okay. that was an, an Express shirt. Um, what was C again? As you look back now, I mean, you're 18 years old. I mean, getting yeah. paid. I'm, I'm, I mean, how many guys have spent their first check on getting a sweet ride? I mean, yeah. you're, you're not the first. So, But what do you remember from that video? I remember thinking it was really cool. Um, I love music, so I, I enjoyed the, uh, the sound system in it. Looking back on it, what I, what I think is cool at 30 is definitely not what I thought was cool <laughs> at 18. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And you know, I, I'm sure my kids will get a laugh out of that video when they're old enough to understand how much of a tool move that was for me to do. But yeah, I, uh, I love that uh, vehicle. I love that time in my life. And then I'm glad that it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still out there in digital stone on the internet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This has been a lot of fun, dude. Thanks so much for stopping by. Best of luck in Toronto. Um, you know, it's a lot of Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds on that team. You got JTU played, you know, Oshawa on the London Knights, the lot, a couple of London Knights guys on there, but you have Nick Robertson from the Peterborough Peets as well. So you're, uh, you're not in exactly hostile territory with your new team. So thanks so much for this and best of luck with the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Okay, so I want to thank Zach Bogosian for stopping by the podcast this week and uh, thank the Maple Leafs for making him available. And Elliot, I'm glad we talked about his workouts because uh, he is somewhat legendary. I can remember, you know, years, I mean, he's playing with the Peterborough Peets and remember uh, as a younger guy, he would he would make the trip from Messina, New York to Ottawa. I mean, essentially it's like going from Cornwall there, but every day to work out, like over the border to go and work out every single day. And you know what the, the one thing that I always wondered, um, and I asked Berkey about this on Monday's edition of, of Hockey Central too, I could never understand why, and maybe you have an answer for this, Don Waddell is probably the best person to ask about it. He was the GM then of the Atlanta Thrashers. He's 18 years old, this is his first year in the NHL, and Bogosian breaks his leg. Remember that? His first year in the league. Yes. And then, I mean, the season goes on. He's, you know, uh, rehabilitating, recuperating. And the season is lost. It's an Atlanta lost season. And he comes back and they put him back in the NHL right away. And I could never understand at that moment. I get it that you think he's a pro player and et cetera, et cetera. I just don't know that putting the kid right back. And he's a kid at that point. He's 18 putting him back in the NHL was the right move instead of sending him back to, to finish the season in junior hockey. Next time we talk to Don Waddell, like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Why are you putting this guy back in the NHL? We have to get Don Waddell on this podcast. I would love to get Don Waddell on this podcast. You know how Bobby Orr got him to the OHL, right? Hit me. So Bobby Orr, uh, when he was uh, quite active with, uh, with Orr Group, was uh, having a conversation with Jeff Tui, who was then running the Peterborough Peets. And this would have been, geez, I can't remember, 2004 maybe. It was OHL draft, I want to say. And then, uh, and he said, look, dude, we got this kid down here at Cushing Academy. Uh, you might want to come down and have a look at him. And so Tui goes down and Bobby Orr is like, so what do you think of the kid? Like, I think he can play in the, uh, in the OHL. And Tui's like, well... He's Boston. Like, that's not OHL territory. That's Quebec League. And he goes, no, he's from Messina, New York. 
And Tui said, oh. And so that's why the Peterborough Peets ended up taking, I think it was like 18th or 19th overall. And at that point, like none of the OHL scouts had a book on this guy at all. Uh, I guess he mentioned in the interview, he's from Messina, New York. No one really knew a ton about him. Uh, he's playing at Cushing and, you know, not a lot of OHL scouts are going to go down there because nobody knows about it. Everyone thinks, oh, he's playing in Boston. He's a Boston kid. There's no chance. But he's from New York, and that's the reason the Peterborough Peets took him at like 18 or, or 19th overall. So it was Bob Ewer that started uh, that career arc for Zach Bogosian into the OHL. Let me just say how happy I am for Bogosian. Wave through the league, won a cup, picked his spot. Awesome. I'm with you. Cheer for people, not for teams. Uh, one of those guys you cheer for. I mean, when he was getting you know a healthy scratch by the Buffalo Sabres, did you ever think this season that there's Zach Bogosian. You say, hey, there goes the Stanley Cup champion, Zach Bogosian. Life's interesting, man. Hang in there. Hang in there. And speaking of hanging in there, Elliot, we're not going to hang in there. We're going to take a little time off. Well, we have uh, an interview that we're going to tape later this week that I'm pretty excited about. And uh, it's something a little different, Jeff. And we'll, we're going to release it on Monday, but we're pretty excited about. But other than that, the regular format you know, we're all going to take some time off. You're going to take some time off after this week, right? Uh, Yeah, Friday's my last radio, and then I'm taking a couple weeks off. Amal, you're going to take three weeks off, right? Somewhere in there, yes. Amal's out. I don't know what I'm doing. That's, like, normal for me. I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm, I'll probably take some downtime, too. So we're going to give the podcast a bit of a break. Like I said, we're going to have one more interview podcast. And Amal, you said that's going to drop Monday, right? Yep, Monday morning. Sorry to make you turn on the microphone and answer questions, Amal. <laughs> what my client is trying to say, Your Honor. <laughs> yes. We're going to take a bit of a time out here as we refresh and reset. Like everybody, we're hoping that we see a training camp in early to mid-December and the puck drops on January 1st, but God only knows. So we wanted to say uh, thanks very much to everybody who's uh, listened and supported and continued to download the pod over the weirdest NHL season that all of us or any of us can remember. Thanks very much for your support. May we never have to go through that again. Oh, and for everyone that sent in and they continue to pour in, I apologize for not getting back to everybody who, everyone who sent in word associations, we're going to get to a bunch uh, when we get back because people seem to dig it. And I love torturing Elliot. Like you wouldn't believe, you know what we're going to do. I'm saying this right now after a few drinks, Yes, <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit happy right now, as, which is why I'm probably committing to this. <laughs> Jeff, we are going to do a word association pod. I'm in. We're going to do one pod and it'll drop sometime in November. That is only word association. I love it. Okay, I'm setting some rules right now. <laughs> Maximum six names. Okay. And... We'll take a couple crazy ones. We'll take a couple yellow laces. I want some that are not stupid, like yellow laces. Yep. We'll take a couple of crazy ones like yellow laces, and we'll take some other ones, but submit them to Jeff. Don't submit them to me because it's kind of pointless. Submit them to Jeff or Amel, and um, we will do a two-hour word association pod. Oh, I love it. In November. 
Oh, that's a sweet spot of the bat. Oh, you know, when you just swing right through the ball and you don't feel it at all and it just leaves the yard. It takes the good scotch to get me to commit to this. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, uh, well, that's got me inspired to get back from uh, from vacation sooner than later or start to put it together nonetheless. No, we'll do it in November. We'll do it in November. You got time. All right. I got November to look forward to. All right. That's awesome. And uh, a big thanks as always to our producer, Emil Delich. Trust me, you're listening to this podcast right now and you're saying, wow, these guys sound great. Wow, these guys sound professional. Wow, their voices are lovely. First of all, we're not professional. Elliot's drinking. I got a nasally voice and this has been a scatterbrained podcast, but you don't know that because you've just listened to the final product as produced by Emil Delich. The secret weapon, and uh, come on, Dion Francais, as they say in French, la première étoile of this podcast. Emil, you're the best. Thank you as always. And as Elliot said, thanks to everybody who's downloaded this podcast and uh, and let us into your ears uh, this season. Thanks so much for joining us, as always, on Thirty One Thoughts, the podcast. Have a break yourself too. Get away from all this hockey. This isn't what I want Extra music this week on the podcast is a year in the making and comes from someone who la 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 loves listening to me read copy. All the music you've heard on the podcast today is from Julian Brown and we will take you out with On an August Day from his album Undivided. Bye. is for a quick